Hello and welcome into BTN's Take 10 Podcast. This is Alex Ruber, BTN.com, and this is another football-focused episode of this podcast. Ahead of big game this weekend in Indy, the Big Ten Championship game between Ohio State and Wisconsin. And it is following you know, crazy week in college football, number one and two teams losing. We had Ohio State Michigan going on and all the coaching chaos that ensued. So for me, this is a necessary podcast to to record for a few reasons. First of all, you know, just being able to talk everything out with my guests today will help me get a grasp on things because so much going on right now in college football, so many playoff scenarios, so many huge games coming up and so much turmoil and turnover in the coaching ranks and I kind of just need to hear everything laid out in front of me and that's what we'll uh, try to do here on this show. Um, we brought in Nicole Auerbach of The Athletic, national college football writer, as our weekly national guest and she joined Tom Dean Hart and myself as we do on these football focus episodes and the three of us discuss not only the Michigan State I'm sorry, the Michigan-Ohio State game this past weekend and the fallout from that result. We also talk college football playoff rankings, which were released Tuesday night, and what they think the committee might do with all the scenarios and all the tough decisions that might have to be made here in the coming days. We also touched on the coaching chaos, like I mentioned, um, you know, Tennessee, what Nebraska's situation looks like, with Scott Frost looking likely to go there, and everything else that unfolded on that crazy college football coaching carousel. So got deep into those discussions, and then I brought BTN researcher Harold Shelton in for our weekly stat head segment, and I use Harold to help preview and break down the Ohio State-Wisconsin matchup. And there's no better guy to do that because Harold really goes behind the numbers and is able to, you know, lay out the advantages as clear as possible that each team has and break down the game from a uh, great perspective. So it's fun sitting down with those three experts, and we'll get to that in just a minute. But before we do, just a couple of reminders. Number one, please rate, comment, subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already. We are on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Podbean. Um, if you if you want to subscribe on any of those platforms, please do. Second reminder, we still have our coupon code deal going on at the btn.com online store. So if you're you know sad about Cyber Monday being over or missing out on deals, we still got a deal ongoing for you at the btn.com store. Um, you can take 10% off your purchase at that store by using the coupon code TAKE10. That's T-A-K-E, all in caps, and the numbers 1 and 0. And this is especially important this weekend because, you know, you've seen those official championship gear and clothes and hats and all that team wears as the confetti's falling in Indy and the players are hoisting the trophies. We got all that stuff on the online store at btn.com. So if you're an Ohio State or Wisconsin fan, go to btn.com on Saturday night for that official championship apparel. Unless your team loses, then don't go because you'll probably get mad at the, uh, the winning team's apparel being plastered all over the homepage. So... Um, go there for your championship apparel, and I know some of you out there are procrastinating on your holiday shopping as well. You know, no shame in that. So get to btn.com, get some team licensed apparel, and put in that take ten coupon code. That's T A K E one zero coupon code. So you have a uh, presents to put under the tree this year, and your family and friends don't hate you. All right, so it's time to get to the good stuff in our um, weekly football focus slash Big Ten championship preview episode. 
first we'll start with Nicole Auerbach and Tam Deanhart right now. I'm very pleased to be joined, as always, by BTN.com's very own Tom Deanhart calling in from his home near St. Louis. And our national guest this week is actually a guest we've had on the program before. It is Nicole Auerbach of The Athletic. And I'm very pleased to welcome Nicole because she was actually the very first guest on Take 10 Podcast. So, Nicole, uh, this is your official welcome back, and you're officially a recurring guest now on the show. Oh, I feel really honored, so thank you. And I'd like to thank the Academy for having me. Um, but, yes, no, great to be back. Um, lots of good football to discuss, too. I think we did this in the off season, right? And there wasn't, <laughs> there wasn't much football to talk about. We did, and uh, you've had a job change since then. You were at USA Today before. You're now, like I said, at The Athletic and, and the All-American. So uh, just fill everyone in out there. Before we get started, yeah. what have you been up to uh, for the All-American? Yeah, so um, so the All-American is the college football wing of The Athletic, um, which is a new subscription-based sports media website, um, and it's been going really well. Um, I'm I'm doing similar stuff to what I was doing at my old job, um, covering college football, and then I'll do some college basketball once the playoff's over, and, you know, just telling really good, interesting stories, you know, do some deep dives into, into the X's and O's, and then also some really great human interest stories, but... No ads, no pop-up videos. It's um, it's it's a pretty cool site, great mobile app, um, and it's been really fun to work for. And I'm still doing, obviously, as you guys know, still working for Big Ten Network um, for the Beyond Show once a week. So it's uh, it's been a busy fall, but but a really good one. And um, and yeah, I'm I'm, I'm excited to uh, to get rolling into postseason coverage too. Yeah. Do you have a uh, favorite stop or story so far from your uh, football season at the Athletic? Yeah, well, actually, um, my my favorite story I've done so far was uh, I went out to Laramie, Wyoming, first time to Wyoming, and did a story on Josh Allen. And, and if you guys you guys recall, like there were there's a bunch of Josh Allen stories in the preseason about you know kind of his now he's the the hot pick in the draft and he's maybe the next Carson Wentz and you know this kind of guy who was under recruited and played JUCO and eventually ended up Wyoming. And I ended up going there um, about midway through the season, and he'd lost to Oregon, he'd lost to Iowa, he didn't play well in those games, he'd lost a lot of offensive pieces around him. And so the story I ended up writing was sort of how do you handle when things aren't, like nothing, it was never going to be this like fairy tale story, but sort of what happens when, you know, you're, there's all this hype and there's this spotlight and, and you don't do well in it. How do you get past that? And so it ended up being, like, I, th- I think people are more interesting when things don't go according to plan. And I thought it was a really interesting story. He was really candid about it. So were people around him. Um, so that's actually my favorite story that I've done because, A, it was going somewhere off the beaten path in, in season, and, B, telling a story about someone that people have heard about but telling it in a different way. And so he, <laughs> he actually got injured right after that. So I was like, oh, my gosh, he just, like, has another thing to overcome <laughs> heading into the combine right. and everything in the off season. But, yeah, so, I mean, it's, it's kind of like those types of stories that, you know, always end up sticking with you the longest anyway, the ones that you kind of have time to dig into. Um, so, that, so that was one. Plus, like, they had a really cool photo of him playing in the snow, and I'm a sucker for photos of people playing football in the snow. So <laughs> that was kind of the, the tipping point, and uh, that's, been, that's been my favorite story so far. Yeah, very cool. So everyone be sure to check out Nicole's work over at the All-American. Um, 
And we will move on to, uh, you know, everything that's going on in college football. It's been a, a crazy week, a crazy few days with coaching changes and rivalry week just wrapped up and we have championship week coming up. We could probably go on for, you know, three hours um, considering, you know, I have Tom and Nicole and I couldn't live with myself if I kept them on that long. We'll keep it mostly in the Big Ten as we look backward right now and uh, we'll talk about the Michigan-Ohio State game briefly and then we'll move on to all the madness that's going on as we speak. So uh, just kind of catch our breath, reflect on what happened and to set the stage for, for what's ahead. We'll start in the Big Ten um, where all eyes were on not only the game, it was the game as Michigan and Ohio State fans call it. And to be honest, you know, it, it had a lot. I thought it was a, a hell of a game, and um, I thought Ohio State was doomed when when JT Barrett went down and Dwayne Haskins, the backup quarterback, came in. But, you know, he made some plays. They, they went to the running game a little more. And uh, John O'Corn, Michigan's quarterback, didn't make those plays, to say the least. And Ohio State walked out of there, out of the big house, with a 31-20 victory. So, Tom, I'll start with you. Uh, just, you know, kind of zoomed out. How did Ohio State look to you? Did they look... Uh, position well to beat Wisconsin. Do you look like they look like they have it together? And uh, that's kind of you know considering JT Barrett's injury with all the hype and uh, theatrics that surrounded that post game. How did how did Ohio State look and what kind of shape are they in moving into this weekend? Yeah, yeah, it was it was, it was a workmanlike effort. I think man, that's the best way to characterize it. Um, what they got behind fourteen nothing there looked dicey for a while for Ohio State, but again. Uh, you know, anytime you get punched in the nose, it's always interesting to see how you're going to react as a team, as an individual. And that's exactly what happened to Ohio State, and they didn't buckle in that hostile environment. So that always impresses me when you respond to adversity like that. Then you lose your quarterback, more adversity, bring in a redshirt freshman, and you can proceed to march on and get a win against your biggest rival. That's six in a row now for Ohio State, 13 out of 14 for Ohio State versus Michigan. So Nice to get that win as you head to Indianapolis, but still, guys, you know what? That Barrett injury casts a little bit of a pall over this Saturday's game, I think. You know, he's, he's listed as probable. He says he's going to play, but you wonder, even if he does play, how healthy is he going to be? Yeah, exactly. And, you know, of course, Nicole, you know, you, you went to Michigan, and you know this rivalry, and a lot of these games don't play out without something bizarre happening. And, and in this game, it was, you know, it came out after the game that there was an incident with a camera running into JT Barrett's knee, and then... That ultimately forced him out of the game um, when when he hobbled off. So, Nicole, what have you heard? Like, what what is there to this? Is it as serious as Urban Meyer kind of made it sound post game, or um, you know, has the kind of hype died down about the uh, malicious intent of the mystery cameraman? Yeah, I think the uh, the debacle that is the Tennessee search has kind of uh, taken up all of the headlines and all of the Twitter anger. Um, but I think it's a very, it's a very, it was a very odd story, um, and and I think that I'm glad that it came out. I'm glad that people that they brought attention to it because if it is malicious, if something someone's doing something on purpose, I mean that 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 should come out. Um, but I, I agree with Tom. I mean, I, I do wonder, you know, just how healthy JT is moving forward. You know, one thing I thought of immediately when he you know went left the game was that he left the game, uh, another great matchup in the game's history, um, when he broke his leg. And I, you know, he has not played in a Big Ten championship game, which is such a bizarre stat because he's been in the, it seems like he's been in the Big Ten for 10 years. Right. And he is not. So, you know, I want to see him healthy and, and playing in that game. 
because he hasn't had that opportunity despite, you know, doing a lot of other things in his career at the Buckeyes. You know, one thing I'll just add about about the game is, again, that I was, I was really impressed with Dwayne Haskins, too. And it was interesting because there was all that uproar early in the season after the Oklahoma game about seeing him more and seeing what he could bring to the table. Um, but I think, you know, obviously Urban Meyer was not going to, to bench JT Barrett. And the way that it worked out, you really saw a lot from Dwayne Haskins. And I was most impressed with his poise and confidence when he was throwing the ball. And, and that's, that's something that Michigan has had trouble with, with when, when they've had to sub in quarterbacks, is that there is a drop-off and there has been mistakes and they have been telegraphing passes or not looking through all your reads and, and just kind of basic things that if you're not comfortable in the position, you're not going to do. And I think Dwayne Haskins was doing them pretty much right off the bat, and so there was no drop-off. And that, that, that's what changed the game. Um, you know, I do think if, if Brandon Peters plays the game for Michigan, it could potentially go a completely different way. Um, but like Michigan has been limited all season long, you're limited by, you know, the, the ceiling of your quarterback. And so, you know, that, that, that's something I do wish we had gotten to see Brandon Peters in that game, um, just because I think that would have maybe kept it uh, more competitive closer to the end or given them a couple shots, you know, in those last couple of possessions and maybe not turn the ball over. Um, but, yeah, I mean, the, the, the quarterbacks is exactly what the story was of that game, and pretty much that's been the story for both teams all season long. Yeah, and um, after Ohio State walked out of there with that win, kind of all eyes turned to the Iron Bowl and see what Alabama was doing in, uh, versus Auburn because, you know, Auburn with the two losses and Alabama was undefeated at that point. Uh, Ohio State fans were pulling for Alabama to kind of knock Auburn out of playoff contention. Of course, that didn't happen. Uh, Auburn won at home, won the Iron Bowl, and now Alabama and Ohio State are kind of sitting there with, uh, you know, still hopes very much alive, but Alabama's going to be idle, and Ohio State has, uh, you know, Wisconsin in front of them. So I was playing around with this, uh, this really cool tool on 538.com, which allows you to kind of see the odds of how the uh, playoff, you know, scenarios break down. And Ohio State depending on who wins, who loses, it seems like they have between like a 40 to 75% chance, depending on how things fall. And that's if Ohio State wins, of course. But as we know, you know, these are, these are algorithms and the decisions are going to be made by people on the committee. So, Nicole, uh, going off what the committee has done so far and what they've said and when they kind of put out their press release and Kirby Hoka to kind of be the sacrificial lamb there, um, what if... What if Ohio State wins and um, you know Alabama obviously is going to sit idle? Do you think, depending on the scenarios and if it comes down to those two, does Ohio State get in over an idle Alabama team? Yeah, it's a really good question. And I do think there would need to be a couple of things that need to happen to kind of put that fourth spot in the playoff like in play. Um, but I think it's pretty clear that the committee does not love Oklahoma. The committee does not seem to respect Big 12's attempts at defense, um, which is fine. And they've had issues. I mean, these are guys who watch film and have a preference in their eye test, and that's their prerogative. Um, they haven't been as vocal about that specifically with Oklahoma as they were last year, which they basically said that why you know they they didn't like them. But they're, they've insinuated as much um, this year. And so, you know, I, I don't know, you know, what that means for them. I, I wonder also they seem to really like Clemson and kind of really be discounting that loss to Syracuse because Kelly Bryant wasn't 100%. So 
you know, I, I don't I don't know what happens if Clemson loses. Like I don't know if how how much goodwill they've built up with the committee if they could potentially stay in the mix and to get two ACC teams in. I don't know. These are all these are all hypotheticals. But it would be kind of fascinating if this does come down to Ohio State and Alabama specifically because obviously Alabama is in the situation that Ohio State was last year with less quality wins um, and not having like, you know, a win at Oklahoma to kind of hang your hat on. And the committee set a precedent that they're willing to take a team that's not playing in a championship game if they're unequivocally better than the teams that, you know, they might be compared to which would have a conference championship um, as part of a resume. And so this would be super interesting because you would have an extra loss with your conference champion um, and, and better wins, but way worse losses in two of them and blowout losses, which we also haven't seen for teams that have made the playoffs. So, you know, I really have no idea how this goes. And, and you've got Ohio State's athletic director, Gene Smith, on the committee, which obviously he'll be recusing himself from conversations about Ohio State, but my goodness, this is the week where they all watch games together. Right. Like, like they're, they're going to be around him all weekend, and just how awkward would that be, you know? I mean, obviously, I would think, even if you're not doing this on purpose, like, this is someone you've, you're working with, you're talking to every week, you're seeing, you're, you're spending all of this time around. Um, I, I feel like that's just going to be so uncomfortable if it does come down to, whichever way it goes in that situation, but especially if Ohio State gets left out. So, I really have no sense of that because we really haven't seen that type, these two types of resumes go up against each other where they're actually getting compared. Because last year, according to the committee, you know, Ohio State wasn't directly compared to Penn State. So I think this year would, would kind of force some of those issues that we probably should have seen last year, but we didn't because they weren't looking at them directly compared to each other. Right. And, and backing up, um, just for anyone who, who wasn't watching or didn't see the rankings, um, so the top two teams lost last week. We mentioned Alabama went down, and uh, Miami went down as well. They were at number two. And um, so it goes Clemson at number one, Auburn number two, uh, Oklahoma at number three, and then the Big Ten debut in the college football playoff rankings. Wisconsin jumping in at number four, Alabama five, Georgia six, Miami seven, Ohio State would need to jump at least three teams to get in the, uh, the top four. So that being said, um, you know, it depends on – of course, Ohio State's performance uh, in the Big Ten championship game, you know, if it's a 59 to nothing game like we saw against Wisconsin several years back, that would certainly have, you know, implications on who gets in, Alabama or Ohio State. Tom, I know you wrote about this this past week, and you mentioned it a few weeks ago on the podcast, and we kind of speculated if it came down to Alabama or Ohio State, who would be favored. Um, I think you said a few weeks back that you thought that – the committee would pick Alabama, but I believe you wrote that you would pick Ohio State if it came down to the two. So do you stand by Ohio State getting in, you know, say if the resumes are really similar and if um, Ohio State, you know, pulls off a win this weekend, what do you think What do you think should happen? What do you think the committee will do? Well, I think there are a few. First of all, there's a few sure things here. Um, I think we all can agree that the winner of the SEC title game and the winner of the ACC title game is automatically in, and Oklahoma is automatically in if they beat Texas Christian, and same for Wisconsin. <clears throat> Things get interesting, obviously, with uh, a TCU win over Oklahoma, and of course the Ohio State win over Wisconsin. Um, 
I still think if OU takes care of TCU and Ohio State beats Wisconsin, then we have the Alabama-Ohio State debate. And I think Ohio State should get in and probably will get in. Um, I know, you know, McCoolin will award the Ohio State's resume. I get all that. But still, um, boy, that, that quote from Kirby Hocutt last night really seemed to give you an indication that playing this game is really going to be the Ohio State's advantage on Saturday while Alabama's just idly by. Uh, this would be another nice win for the Buckeyes. We're top four team. They already beat Michigan State. They beat Penn State as well. And uh, they beat, uh, obviously, Michigan too. So the resume's decent. But, again, I think, um, you know what, when it's all said and done, I just can't see the committee taking two SEC teams and leaving a Big Ten champion Ohio State team out. Now, if TCU and Ohio State both win, I think Bama and Ohio State have a great chance to both get in. Yeah, Nicole, um, I know some people were speculating on Twitter. They noticed that Mississippi State remained in the rankings and Fresno State jumped in at number 25. Those are two teams that Alabama beat this year, and that would give Alabama at this time two more ranked wins. So do you think there's anything to that, or is that just kind of a coincidence? I I don't know if it's a coincidence. Um, I definitely did not think that Fresno State would be an important piece of Alabama's resume this year. Right. but it, it definitely helps. I mean, a couple weeks ago, I was pointing out to people when you were looking at Wisconsin's resume, how it really mattered, you know, when Iowa got in there, if Michigan could have snuck in. Like, those bottom, you know, 20 through 25 end up being important spots because at the end of the season, like in the, in the middle, when we start, we start talking about midseason rankings and there's a lot of talk about wins over, you know, teams that have 500 or better records, like they're decent teams. But the end, the the measure is the top twenty five win because those are teams that the committee felt are good enough to be in their top twenty five. And so I think that stuff does end up mattering. Um, you know, Fresno State's one of these teams that has there's a lot of rematches in conference championships this coming weekend, and Fresno State is going to have to try to beat the same team uh, two weeks in a row in Boise State. And so that is a challenge. Um, if they lose, they would fall out of the top twenty five. They win this day in, and so that may end up helping Alabama's resume. I mean, I think not that the committee is doing this to help Alabama, but that makes it easier to justify if you do eventually, if chaos happens and eventually you need to justify taking a non-conference champion, you you can point to those top 25 wins because Alabama doesn't have those elite wins, those top 10 wins, those top five wins um, that some of the other teams, or again, last year, Ohio State had that Oklahoma win to kind of really hang its hat on. Um, you know, the, Florida State could have been that, should have been that, but, you know, that was not the season Florida State was going to have. So I think, you know, they, they might end up helping to justify if you need to, but I don't think there's, like, some grand conspiracy. It would be funny if it was, but there isn't, to, like, you know, pad Alabama's resume in any way possible. All right. So we will shift the college football playoff speculation to a different type of speculation that has been, you know, blazing through – college football and Twitter and everything these last few days, and that is the Coaching Carousel 2017 edition, which seems like it's been spinning out of control. So we'll start in the Big Ten because the big news, obviously, is the vacancy at Nebraska. Uh, Nebraska, just as everyone expected, moved on from Mike Riley immediately. uh, I think it was on Saturday morning they announced it, and um, rightfully so. You know, he had his time there, and um, they definitely needed to look in a different direction. And now kind of the conventional wisdom seems to be pointing towards Scott Frost of Central Florida. Um, Tom, I'll start with you. 
what are you hearing on on this end? Does it seem like this is pretty much a, a done deal and this is going to happen, or um, is there still room, wiggle room there for uh, him ending up somewhere else? I thought you were going to talk about Jeff Brom. <laughs> we'll get to him. We'll get to him, Tom. Yeah, you're right. But you know, you're right, Tom. Some people, Alex, think this deal with Frost is done already, and they're just waiting until they play the until Central Florida plays its its title game here this weekend, and then something will become more official. Obviously, it will become official shortly thereafter. So, uh, you know what? When you saw Frost not land at uh, in a place like Florida or Tennessee or any of these other marquee openings, you kind of got the feeling that, hey, um, you know, Nebraska is going to be his destination. Nobody's surprised, obviously. He's a Nebraskan. We all know about the 1997 team. So makes perfect sense. So, again, I think most people think it's going to happen here sometime, uh, you know, later this weekend or maybe early next week. And certainly if it does, my gosh, what, what a home run hire, right? Um, again, he checks a lot of the boxes that Nebraska wants aside from being one of their own. I mean, what he's done at UCF has been nothing short of remarkable. Inherited a winless team. A few years later, he's unbeaten. And, again, that offense, ultra exciting. So uh, it'll be fun if that happens to see if he can finally, finally be the coach to resurrect uh, what was once a great program. Yeah, Nicole, um, I mean, obviously, like Tom said, we saw Scott Frost take UCF from 0 to 100 uh, real quick, basically in, you know, two years. So, how do you see a potential Frost era playing out? What does it do for the Nebraska brand? Because, you know, we see here at BTN, we see the press conferences of their new athletic director, Bill Moose, and, and we see Nebraska fans, you know, really wanting to get back to, to relevancy and then to a a national prominence like they, like they were. So do you think, a, uh, you know, a Scott Frost can get them to, to that stage? Or, um, I don't know, do you think they need to take baby steps first and, and then maybe – it can be like the uh, the glory days again in Nebraska. Well, you know, one thing for for all the impressive accomplishments that he's had in his two-year coaching career at UCF is it's only been two years. Um, it, it, it's certainly clear that he's talented, um, and, and people knew that before he was a head coach when he was just, you know, an assistant coach and, and just a great coaching mind and, and innovative and, and able to, you know, really produce on the field and, and get through his players. And I think, you know, there, there would be – it would be a, a big step from a UCF that, you know, and I think that's part of the reason why you take these steps because UCF is getting um, disrespected right now by the college football playoff. Down, they're number 14 in the, in the rankings this week. They're not the 14th best team in the country. They should be in the top 10. Um, but, you know, the access – to the playoff, the access to the, the big bowl games and all of that and scheduling and everything, so much easier in the Power Five. Um, and, and I think that when you – but there's still going to be a, a step for him to take as a coach. Um, and obviously the scrutiny and the fishbowl element of Nebraska, even with one of your own coming back there, that, that's going to be there. I mean, it's, it's clear that Nebraska – is not going to, you know, be happy with mediocre seasons. Um, and, and really, you know, they're not happy unless they're going to be – they should be. Them in Wisconsin should be competing for the Big Ten West title every every season, and, and they need to get back up to that level. But, you know, one thing to keep in mind here is that you got to start with this point, that Scott Frost picks Nebraska. And, and this matters a lot because, you know, we've seen that the place like Florida – 
with with Chip Kelly and Scott Frost and in, in Tennessee kind of bumbling around during its search this past week, it matters a lot if you get the guy who is perceived to be your top choice, perceived to be your home run, and he picks you as well. And I think that that is a really important piece, especially when you're trying to unite a fractured fan base in Nebraska right now. Um, a, it super it is a big help to bring back someone who knows the program, knows the expectations, and has been part of the elite level of success that you want. But also, you have your the, the perception is going to be that they got the guy they wanted, and I think that that sets you off on the right foot to start. Um, which obviously that doesn't last, but I think that that's exactly the way that you need to kind of be moving on from the Mike Riley era if you're Nebraska. Yeah, exactly. And, and assuming this plays out like people expect it to, Nebraska does look good. You know, they, they look like uh, another competent school, UCLA, that kind of did all this quietly and and got their guy and is not left swinging in the wind as uh, some other schools, and uh, namely one school, one checkered orange and, and white school is looking right now as we speak. Um, so pretty much, you know, the coaching carousel kind of kicked off this weekend and it reached a new level of, you know, uh, of, of craziness when Greg Schiano was rumored to have been a done deal, the Ohio State defensive coordinator, hired away from Ohio State to take the head job at Tennessee. And the fans kind of went into a revolt, um, whether that was because of the, you know, perce- perception that Shiano, you know, wasn't good enough there to be the head coach. Um, certainly they used the reason of the Jerry Sandusky scandal at Penn State that Shiano was an assistant there for a time um, as, a, as a reason why they did not want him on campus. But essentially it kicked off just mass hysteria, and Shiano, by the end of Sunday, was no longer in consideration for that Tennessee job. So first of all, Tom, you've, you've been around college football a long time, you know, uh, longer than both of us. So have you seen... Anything like this ever happen? A crazier, you know, four or five days in college coaching carousel season, which already gets crazy every year, anyway. Yeah, I know it's uh, it's hard to uh, hard to think back to anything more bizarre than what's going on in Knoxville in recent days. You know, it probably goes back to uh, them, themselves getting them, themselves in this bind with the fascination of John Gruden. Um, there, there were some people, some reports that actually made you think that Gruden was going to go to Knoxville. I mean, we hear this rumor every time that job comes open and every time he never takes the it. The restaurants, the people at the restaurants again. <laughs> <laughs> it's crazy. So, again, once that became a reality, once again, that it wasn't going to happen, Nicole talked about perception. And uh, anything after that, anything not, anybody not named John Gruden was going to be a big letdown, right? So then that's not a reality. And then you get the reports about Shiano over the weekend. And, and we all know... Uh, you know, what went on there with the fan outrage led to the, uh, you know, the suspension of trying to con- consummate that marriage. And then, of course, now the bumbling with, with Jeff Brom, and now the focus being on uh, Dave Dorn, the NC State head coach. Nice guy. I think he's 33 and 30 there in five years. But, again, um, I can't imagine fans be overly excited about getting Dave Dorn. So, in the end, uh, it's kind of interesting to see where this thing lands for Tennessee and, you have to wonder about the competency of that AD there, John Curry. Yeah, and Tom, uh, uh, what did you hear today as, uh, as we record this on Wednesday? You know, the Jeff Brown rumors started popping up. Uh, some, you know, we had a Knoxville reporter saying that it was all but done to have Brown leave Purdue after one year and go to go to Tennessee. 
What were you hearing throughout the day Wednesday? And, you know, people could be listening to this Thursday, Friday, and, and Tennessee could have their coach already, so yeah. this might be worthless information. But what were you, what were you hearing um, regarding Brom, and what is it, where does it stand as of now about him, as far as him returning to Purdue? Well, yeah, you first heard his name popping up there. Uh, um, you know, not, not in, right after the weekend, basically, that he, he could be a potential target. Um, nothing more than that. He was on their radar, so to speak. And then all that, you know, accelerated and heated up there after the Shiano thing fell through. There were reports that he had had discussions with the university. There was even a report today that they had reached an agreement. Uh, you, know, you talked about a respected writer in Knoxville, a guy named Jimmy Himes, who's been there for years, reported that there was a done deal. And it may have very well been, and then it just fell through because there was another report that they had a deal done, but the Chancellor nixed it. And they went back to Brom with a lesser offer, and he said no. So who knows who's telling the truth? There's a lot of he said, she said at this point. But, again, it certainly looked close to be that the Brom was going to leave West Lafayette after just one season. I think that would have shocked a lot of people. He didn't he ever struck me as that kind of guy to be a one-and-donner. Uh, so, again, it's good that the Big Ten was able to keep a guy like that because I think Brom's a nice personality fit there, and he showed this year he knows how to coach a team that doesn't have a lot of talent. Tom and Nicole, thanks so much for, for taking the time today. And, you know, Tom, I'll see you soon. See you in Indy. Nicole, enjoy having some, uh, you know, time on your couch watching the games. And um, hopefully we'll uh, get you both back on soon. All right. Thanks for having me. All right. Thanks again, Tom and Nicole, for jumping on. You know, it's so much to get to. And, and I'm glad we were able to kind of set the stage now for the Big Ten Championship game coming up. So much has gone on since this past weekend even and with all the college football playoff ranking scenarios and all the coaching changes. I'm glad we got uh, two people as knowledgeable as Tom and Nicole to come on and, and kind of lay it all out for us. So now we will uh, get Harold Shelton, the BTN researcher, his thoughts on the college football playoff scenario. And... We will have him break down the Ohio State-Wisconsin matchup as well. No better guy to do it. But first, before we take that in-depth look at the game, I uh, just want to get one more reminder out there about the online coupon code that gives you a 10% discount at the btn.com shop. Remember, use the code TAKE10, that's T-A-K-E-1-0, to get 10% off your order. Get Big Ten apparel, memorabilia, swag sizzle whatever they got and that includes big 10 championship game gear which is available on the store as well all right now it is time to bring on harold shelton preview what the college football playoff committee might do and preview the big 10 championship game in indy this weekend december 2nd at eight o'clock so harold take it away Okay, to break down the upcoming Big Ten Championship game, I'm joined by our number savant, our resident stat head. It's Mr. Harold Shelton. First of all, before we get uh, into the game itself, H, you going to be in Indy this weekend running around? Yeah, I will be. I uh, should be heading down uh, this weekend. Definitely looking forward to it. Indy's always a good time, and the game's always great. Yeah, for sure. I'm excited. I've never been to the Big Ten uh, football championship before, so I'm excited to get down there and see what it's all about and watch the game Saturday night. Um, before we get into the game itself, first of all, uh, earlier in the show we talked college football playoff implications with Tom Deanhart and Nicole Auerbach, 
but I want to get your thoughts on it because, you know, you, you followed this closely all year, and for several years now you've uh, seen what the committee, uh, you know, tends to do, even though this year they might be in a tougher predicament when it comes down to some of these scenarios. So we saw Alabama losing in the Iron Bowl, but that doesn't knock them out. Far from it, actually. And we saw Ohio State stay alive with a win over Michigan. So in your opinion, if it comes down to those two teams, I know a lot of stuff, you know, a lot of scenarios have to play out, but do you think the committee would uh, pick Ohio State over Alabama, who is going to be sitting out this weekend while Ohio State, you know, in this scenario, beats Wisconsin in the national, or I'm sorry, the Big Ten championship game? Yeah, so I guess there's two different ways you could look at it, right? Alabama, uh, they were one all year until this past weekend. Well, I shouldn't say all year, but most of the year until this past weekend. They lose by double digits at Auburn. So you look at their resume and you say, hey, their best win is against LSU, who's 17th, and LSU lost at home to Troy. So how good really is LSU? But they have the win against Mississippi State, who's still in the ranking somehow, and they added Fresno State, which right. is kind Two of teams. a forgotten non-conference win that they've had. Exactly. So they have three teams that are ranked. Uh, Interesting how that works, right? right. Those to get in at the, uh, at the tail end here. But. Yeah, very interesting that Mississippi State stayed in after yeah. losing to Ole Miss at home, but right. I digress. Um, so, yeah, they have three ranked wins, but no wins against anybody in the top 15. So will the committee look and say, we still think they're one of the four best teams, or will they say, look, your resume isn't any good and you can't be a conference champion? Um, to me, it's similar to 2015 Ohio State that returned all of this talent, had 12 pros on the roster, um, you know, was number one. It was the favorite most of the year, lost to Michigan State, didn't make the championship game, didn't make the playoff. So I could see it being a situation like that. But at the same time, you look at Ohio State's resume, they've got a 31-point loss to a seven-win Iowa team. Alabama doesn't have that. Now, they will be able to pick up a win if they win on Saturday against Wisconsin. That would give them two top 10 wins and a three top 20 wins if you include the Michigan State game. So that would be similar to what Penn State did last year, sure. being a two-loss Big Ten champion, beating Wisconsin, but still at home because they also had a 30-point loss, 39 actually, to Michigan. So you can look at it one of two ways. I think think at the end Ohio State would get it because I think they value who you beat more than who you lost to. It's interesting how Nick Saban's tune has changed over the last I think it's a year I think last year was when he said oh, yeah, you had to be a champion you know you got to be a in. conference champion to get it now you know now, now oh, they deserve it you know they yeah deserve to be there exactly all of a sudden it's exactly. funny how that works funny how that works so um you know Nick Saban regular fan of the show feel free to come <laughs> on and discuss all right moving on to the Big Ten championship game you know it's it's an interesting matchup, not only because of you know the undefeated Wisconsin and the implications with the college football playoff, but because really it's it's two different teams. While they share some strengths, you know, Wisconsin straight ground and pound, and Ohio State likes to air it out, spread it out a little more. And then we have the wild carded factor of is JT Barrett going to be healthy? Because personally, you know, I see him go out last week, you know, unable to return to a game that means everything in that moment and you know he can't get back out there and they have to put it on Dwayne Haskins all right so he can't get back out there you're telling me uh, a week later that he's going to be at full strength or close to it and, and can carry a team like he we saw him carry the Buckeyes throughout the season 
through that Penn State game. So, you know, I think that's going to be a huge issue. What do you see, I guess, just uh, zooming out here at first, what do you see uh, advantage-wise in both Ohio State and Wisconsin? Like, which position groups, which aspects of the game does each team hold advantages in? Uh, So I would say, I mean, Ohio State is clearly the more athletic team of the two. Now, that doesn't mean that they're going to win the game, but I think, you know, having the athletes on the perimeter, you know, if Barry has time to throw it, could be an advantage. You know, Paris Campbell running underneath routes, running past some linebackers and and safeties could be, you know, advantageous for the Buckeyes. They've got two really, really good running backs and Mike Weber and J.K. Dobbins. So I think, and up front, you know, they were able to get after Alex Hornibrook last year. Um, so we can see if that D-line can get after that Wisconsin offensive line. Um, switching to the other side, I think that 3-4 defense gives a lot of people problems because you can disguise a lot of things. You don't know when the blitz is coming. Sometimes there's only three rushing. Sometimes it's five. Sometimes it's six. Sometimes it's the linebacker on the left side. Sometimes it's the linebacker on the right side. You have no idea where it's coming. And it's not like... Ohio State plays a ton of 3-4 teams. I know they played Wisconsin last year, but not everything stays the same. Different coordinator this year. So I think they have a chance to confuse whoever the quarterback is, whether it's Barry or Haskins. And if they can shut down the run like they have been all year and put Ohio State in third and long and just let those linebackers roam free, like it could be a problem. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I want to I talk a little bit about Wisconsin because, you know, the knock on them has been the schedule, which is out of their control. But I've seen a team that's gotten better as the year has gone on. You know, um, they struggled against Purdue, and they were all that impressive in their early season wins. But you know, you, you've seen partly due to injuries, a lot of guys step up. You know, you're, you're looking at guys like Kendrick Pryor and Danny Davis, a couple of receivers. They're, they're freshmen. Jonathan Taylor has been amazing all year. Another freshman. So first of all, you got these freshmen that that have really shown out and. and no matter what happens this weekend, it's going to be a bright future for Wisconsin for years to come. But this is a team I think that's, that's gotten better. I don't know. Do the stats bear that out? Have they improved? Because, I mean, right now they're number one in the country in total defense, number one in rushing yards per game. You can't get better than that. But have you seen a team that's improved as the year has gone on? I've seen a team that's been able to adapt to whatever situation has been put in okay. front of them. Um, I have so much respect for this program and for what the coaching staff has done year after year, switching coordinators, switching coaches. It's the same thing over and over again, just consistent, win 10 games, 11, 12, year after year after year. Not only year to year, but they've been the most consistent team all season. You know, they haven't had any letdown games. Exactly. I mean, for as much as we say Wisconsin has struggled and they haven't looked great, I mean, they've only had one game out of 12 decided by one possession. Sure. And that was the Purdue game where they turned it over three times. And it was an eight-point game. So and it wasn't even game. like yeah. – Exactly. Like, they weren't truly ever in danger of losing that game. Um, they haven't trailed in the fourth quarter all year. The only team in the country that hasn't. I mean, this is a team that when they put their foot on the gas, like, you just aren't getting up, you know, and it's – you know, they, they do a really, really good job. They've had injuries to Quintez Cephas, who is their best receiver. So what do they do? Oh, we'll just throw it to A.J. Taylor and Danny Davis a little more. Oh, Troy Fumagalli's been banged up. Okay, we'll just throw it to Kyle Penniston a little more. Oh, Alex Hornibrook can't make the key throws to win the game, and you can't trust him. Oh, the Michigan game, what does he do? 
sideline pass to A.J. Taylor, throws Turns a the needle, dart to Taylor right. for a touchdown. And even when Taylor went down, you know, you saw, like, Garrett Groshek stepping in. Like, this dude exactly. was a walk-on. It's crazy. Right. So, I mean, and Jonathan Taylor, again, at the beginning of the year, was the third-string guy going into fall. Yeah. And now he's 1,800 yards, and, you know, he's – you know, arguably the best or the most valuable player in the conference. All right, so in terms of this game, do you trust Alex Hornerbrook? Because until last weekend, he had gone like eight games right. um, with consecutive consecutive games where he'd thrown interceptions. And, you know, you talk to Wisconsin fans, that, that you know, there are plenty of them around the office that still don't trust Alex Hornerbrook. So do you trust him on the stage, especially facing a team? You know, he's seen some decent teams. I mean, Michigan has good defense, but he probably hasn't seen the athleticism that Ohio State's corners and safeties are going to bring. So, do you trust him to play well enough to give Ohio State a chance to, or I'm sorry, to give Wisconsin a chance to win? Uh, you know, I, I wouldn't shock me if he threw a pick or two. That just kind of seems to be what he does. Mm-hmm. Um, one of our producers actually said it's kind of the, the Willie Beeman thing where he has to throw that pick and then after Get it he out throws of his system, that pick, right. then he, he plays well the rest of the game. Um, I mean, I still think as long as he doesn't have the catastrophic turnover. You know, he doesn't throw a pick six. If he throws a pick, you know, and they're not in danger of giving up a score, like I would trust Wisconsin's defense to be able to get him the ball back with minimal damage. Sure. So, I mean, again, Alex Hornerbrook, we've seen him make mistakes. We've seen him make big throws. But the coaching staff never panics, so he never panics. And I think there's something to be said for the fact that, you know, he's a guy, he makes a mistake, and they're just like, hey, man, don't worry about it, shake it off, play the next play. And you can see that throughout their whole team. Like, Jonathan Taylor puts the ball on the ground a ton, and they don't harp on it. Like, it's right. not a, you know, it's not a catastrophic situation. It's, all right, don't do it again, you know, make the next play. One thing I think you got to be concerned about if you're a Wisconsin fan is, is this game getting away from you yeah. early because this Wisconsin team does not seem built to come back from large deficits, you know they, they've we've seen them get hit in the mouth and not fold and, and come back and win games this year, um, but we haven't seen them really get down, right. you know, two three scores, right. which you know could be possible in this game. So, I, I guess if you're Ohio State, how, you got to think the strategy coming out of this, coming into, uh, you know, in the opening kick is to, to to jump on them, step on their throats, and you know maybe it doesn't turn into fifty nine nothing like a few years ago, but at least you know kind of throttle them in the beginning. Yeah, I mean, if Ohio State gets up, if they're up 17 nothing, you know, late first quarter, early second quarter, like, yeah, it could be a problem. Mm-hmm. Because, like you said, we haven't really seen them trail big. I know they, you know, they trailed at Indiana for a little bit. You know, they were trailing in Michigan in the third quarter, but it was only by three, you know, here and there. So they were never really out of the game where they had to change their game plan. And this is not a team that you want to trail against because, as we know, that no, Ohio sir. State D-line, if they know it's just going to be a pass rush drill with all their guys, they can rotate in on that D-line and let them loose. It could be a huge, huge problem and a long day for in the Brook. Absolutely. So, you know, at the same time, Ohio State, you know, probably wants to spread it around like, like we've seen them do. But one thing that, that I know – you have this opinion, and I agree, is that, that it's hurt them this year is getting away from the running backs, Dobbins and Weber, who are, you know, two huge pieces on the on that team. And we saw how important they are when Barrett went down against Michigan. Dobbins and Weber came in, kind of salted that game away. So how do you balance if you're Ohio State? You know, you have all these weapons. You have Johnny Dixon and Paris Campbell, those guys. 
how do you avoid forgetting about Dobbins and Weber? Like, I mean, Weber said after uh, it was a couple weeks ago, you know, he said we, we got to remind, you know, we got to we press the Kevin Wilson and the offensive coordinators to give us the ball more. So how do you avoid forgetting about those guys? Yeah, it's weird, right? I mean, it seems like, and it, it might not just be a Kevin Wilson issue. I feel like this has gone back to when Ed Warner was the coordinator uh, that JT has become yeah. failsafe. Like, right. When the game gets tight, if they're struggling to move it early, they just say, okay, JT, you keep it, JT, you keep it, JT, you keep it, instead of saying, hey, we, if we're still struggling, we're eventually going to hit a big one. And when we hit a big one with Dobbins or Weber, they're going to take it 40, 50, 60 yards. And Barrett's not going to do that. Um, it was funny, you know, reading after the Iowa game when Weber and Dobbins only had 11 carries combined and Barrett had 14, that, hey, there was this mandate to make sure that they'd get the ball more. Mm-hmm. And then you see the Michigan State game the following week and Weber and Dobbins go crazy. And that's when Weber made those comments. And, and uh, it's like, hey, yep. look, you got the reigning Big Ten freshman of the year and you got another guy who just ran for 1,000 yards, like – Let's go. Let's run the ball. We have three Big Ten offensive, first-team offensive linemen. Like, there's no reason for you to forget to, you know, give them the ball. But I think it's funny that Wisconsin is at their best because they stay with who they are. They never forget who they are. And Ohio State sometimes forgets who they are. That's a good point. Um, and I mentioned it at the top, but, you know, JT Barrett's health, I think, is what – this game was going to ride on so what what have you heard throughout the week you know as pressers have gone on and you know I know Ohio State I'm sure is keeping this close to the vest but what's it what's his status like because you know all this um all this happened after the Michigan game and you know there were rumblings of you know sabotage and, and there was malicious intent before the game with a camera bumping into JT Barrett and causing him eventually to go out of that game so you know, like if this was a fantasy football, is he questionable? Is he probable? What's what's the deal here? Uh, so, was it Urban? I believe on Monday said that he, his rehab was progressing faster than expected, so he's changed it to probable. Okay. Um, I guess I'll take him for his word on that. Obviously, he would know more about it than I would. Um, I'd be shocked if Barry didn't play. I think that's kind of the the one thing that's been nagging at him is that. Yeah, he was on that 2014 Big Ten Championship team, but he but didn't on the play big in stage, the game. No, exactly. Right, like. Just like the the Michigan game, he's four and zero as a starter, but he didn't finish two of the games because sure. of the injury. I think there's something to be said for actually being the guy to start, and I think even if he wasn't a hundred percent, that he was going to find a way to, to play in this game. Sure, I have no doubt that he you know gives it a go. Um, I'm just skeptical of his you know ability to, to play to the best of his abilities, but. Um, you know, we'll have to see. We'll see, have to see how it plays out. And who knows? Maybe that injury will actually allow them to hand the ball off to Weber and Dobbins could, more. Could be a blessing in disguise. All right, before we wrap up, um, I'm going to give you one sentence to finish for each team. Start with Wisconsin. So if Wisconsin does what well, they win this game on Saturday. Uh, Wisconsin stays out of third and long. They will win this game. Um, they have to stay on schedule. They can't get in the second and nine, third nine all game where Hornibrook has to make throws consistently. You know, that's gonna every once in a while you know you're gonna be in a third and long, but if you're in that all game long, that's a recipe for disaster. All right, flip it around. If Ohio State does what well they they beat Wisconsin Saturday. If they stay with the running backs, they will win. 
I believe if Weber and Dobbins can combine for 30 to 35 carries, that they can eventually wear Wisconsin down. Uh, you know, we've seen too many times before where they only get 11 or 15 or 20 combined. They're too talented and too explosive. So if you give them more times you know, with the ball, that they'll have a better chance of breaking one. All right, so Wisconsin's lost five straight games with Ohio State. Uh, we mentioned the 59-0 history in the Big Ten Championship game a few years back. Not that that has anything to do with this game coming up, but, you know, it's just interesting to point out. So I'm going to ask for your official prediction before we go. Lay it out for me. It's right in stone here. Give me your uh, official winner and give me a score for Saturday. Okay, uh, I'm terrible at predictions. If I get it wrong, feel free to grill me. I'll take that. Uh, but I'll go Wisconsin 24-20. Um, I feel like this will be the validation that this program, um, I won't say has needed because they don't really care about that, but it would be the validation around the country that people can finally fully respect this program and what they've done over the last four or five years to get to this point. Um, I think the defense will play well. I think Hornerbrook will make enough plays. And I think the body blows from Jonathan Taylor in the first, second, and third quarters will become big holes in the fourth. And I could see him kind of putting the game away late. All right, we're on the same page here. I think Wisconsin's going to win 28-24. I think that, like I said, JT Barrett's uh, ailment, you know, whatever whatever's hobbling him, is going to affect him to a degree that uh, allows Wisconsin to take control of the game and end up winning a, a Ohio State rally falls short at the end. So picking Wisconsin to go to the college football playoff, we'll see how it plays out. I'll see you in Indy. Um, to all the fans who are in Indy, if you see H or myself walking around, feel free to say what's up. Uh, not going to lie, Harold looks looks younger than he actually is. So, you know, we might look <laughs> the same age, but I'm, I'm the skinny white dude walking around. That's how you separate us. <laughs> Fair enough. All right, man. See you there. Thanks again, as always, for, for joining me. Uh, no problem, man. Thanks. All right. Thanks again to Harold, Tom, Nicole for joining us. Uh, it's a lot of fun, as always. And it should be a fun weekend. I'm really looking forward to it. Hopefully we have some college football playoff implications to talk about on next week's show. Uh, Harold, Tom, and myself will be in Indy, so... For some reason, you know what we look like, and you see us, definitely walk up and, you know, say hello. I shouldn't say for some reason. I mean, no one should know what I look like, but uh, Tom's been around the block. You know, he's he's pretty distinctive, and uh, any Big Ten fans probably have seen Tom on our airways at one point or another. But yeah, anyway, feel free to, you know, say hello, talk some Big Ten football or not. It's up to you, but we'll be there and hopefully a lot of uh, Ohio State and Badger fans get there as well. Should be a good time. All right, so uh, thanks to everyone out there for listening. Thanks, as always, to Wes White for producing. Hopefully we're sitting here in a week breaking down a Big Ten team in the college football playoff, whether that's Wisconsin or Ohio State. But regardless, we'll be here, and we'll talk to you next time on Take Ten Podcast.